This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Good morning. How is everyone? Good. It is really good to see some new faces in here this morning. My name is Jake Hotchkiss. I'm the director of Young Adults here on campus. And this month, or today, we are beginning our series uh, going through the life, the story, the, the narrative of the Apostle Paul, a real guy uh, with a very real faith, lived an incredible life. And it's, imp- it's appropriate that we start today in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, because chapter 9 uh, talks about Paul's conversion, which is kind of where it all began. So I invite you this morning, we're going to get right into the text, to look at the screens or pull out uh, your phones. We actually have an app. You can download the Schweitzer app and follow along in the scripture there as well. We're reading verses 1 through 19. But Saul, that was his uh, birth name, Hebrew name, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is, uh, the Christians of the day of the early church, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. It's the Word of God. This morning I want to start with a question. A brief show of hands. Feel free to raise them high and to look at the room around you. How many of you have ever met Jesus Christ in a vision or a dream? Okay, you can put them down. How many of you have ever heard the audible voice of God? Feel free to look around you. Yeah. How many of you have ever witnessed a supernatural healing? How many of you have ever been in the presence of an angel? Okay. 
Can you feel the tension in the room? It's there. It's real. I suspect that there are many more in this room who have had those experiences, um, but are reluctant to share them. And I'm not here this morning to scold you for being reluctant, because I understand your reluctance. Uh, In our culture, even within the church, uh, it's almost taboo to talk about these types of experiences, isn't it? And I could list off a bunch of reasons why, but the reality is it's just taboo. Um, Many of us aren't maybe aren't certain whether or not those experiences were even valid. We're just not sure ourselves. Um, Or maybe the person sitting next to us, our own spouse, doesn't even know about that experience. We've never talked about it. We're ashamed. We're embarrassed. We're afraid of judgment or or ridicule. Um, But these experiences are are very real. And in fact, we know this. In 2008, there was a really important uh, research study done at Baylor. And they asked 1,600 random adults across the, the U.S., so in America, um, Christian, non-Christian, religious, non-religious, about these types of experiences. A random poll, so people you would expect to answer honestly. And here's what they found, uh, that at least that nearly half, nearly half of all uh, adults in America have experienced at least two supernatural encounters with God. At least two. Which would make me assume that the majority, that over half, have experienced at least one. That 55%... Uh, claim they they have had protection from harm by a guardian angel. 44%, again almost half, um, have experienced a calling by God to do something. 23% have witnessed a miraculous physical healing. And 20% uh, claim that they have heard the audible voice of God. Now I uh, commend those of you that raised your hands boldly this morning, um, and I, I do not condemn those of you that didn't but the hands that were raised do not accurately reflect what this research study shows. That's just the the plain and simple truth. And I'm here to say this morning that these experiences are important. And they need to be talked about. They need not to be hidden. Look, we're all gathering here to talk about the fact, uh, in general, we claim as Christians that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. We claim that God uh, conceived of himself within a virgin. We claim that Moses was spoken to by God in a burning bush. We claim some pretty uh, insane things. We should not be afraid to claim that God would and or has spoken to one of us in some way, shape, or form. And the reason these are important is because these types of testimonies, they serve as evidence of the reality of God. At the heart of our message this morning is the fact that God wants to reveal himself to the world. Jesus Christ wants to be known, and he wants you and others to know him. That's what the word of God was written for, for God to be revealed, right? And so Acts 9 contains one of the most uh, important and powerful revelations in Scripture, what we just read, possibly in human history. Luke writes this account of, of Paul coming to faith three times in the book of Acts, This was a very important story that spread across the entire early church. Very important story. Very important event. And in order for us uh, to see this story in the same way they did back then, in order for this story to have the power that it had for the early church back then, we need to understand some things about it. And I think that whether you're a Christian or not, that this story, when we're done with it, is going to be fuel. It's going to be fuel for you to seek God. It's going to be fuel for your faith. It's going to be fuel for your community. 
And I want anyone who's had one of these experiences or more at the end of this message to be more open about sharing your experiences because they are important. Now let's look at Paul from the beginning. Paul was born in Tarsus, a cultural center of his day. Today it's a city of about 3 million people. Um, Back then it was about 100,000. But it was a convergence of cultures from the east and the west. And so um, he was raised in a very culturally diverse area. He could speak about four languages, or at least four languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, and Latin. He was born into a devout Jewish family, and he himself was a devout Jew. But he was also a Roman citizen, which was rather rare. That means that his family either had the right social ties or they had the wealth to purchase Roman citizenship as a Jew. This is why he has two names, Saul and Paul. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. He didn't, a lot of people think he got the name Paul when he was converted. That's not the case. He always had both names. Now, by the age of 30, Paul was a rising star in Judaism. He was a rabbi, and as we know, um, the Jewish law in that day was also the law of the land. So that meant he was not just a teacher of the Jewish law, he was a lawyer. He was a preacher, and he was also a lawyer set out to defend the law of God, the Torah. But also being Roman, uh, in a very Greek Roman culture, he was most likely trained in classical Greek rhetoric, in logic, and grammar. And we see this in his ability to argue and motivate um, and communicate so effectively in his letters in the church, uh, as well as in, in his preaching ministry. And why is all of this important about Paul? Because what this tells us about Paul is that he was well-educated. In fact, he was brilliant among the people of his day. He was well-off. He was well-respected. And he was rising to the top. He was soaring to the top, gaining political power by the minute. Now, that's going to be relevant in just a second. What's also important to know about Paul is that he heavily persecuted the Christian church for a time. Heavily persecuted the Christian church. Just a couple chapters prior to the scripture we just read in Acts 7, Stephen, uh, a prophet, a man of great faith, uh, stood up and spoke and gave his testimony about the resurrected Jesus, how the, um, how the scriptures have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And after uh, he spoke, he was stoned to death. He was the first martyr of the Christian church. And Paul was the person who was, who was standing over him and approving of his murder. After the persecution or the death of Stephen, um, persecution broke out and the church had to disperse out of Jerusalem and, and Paul had a vendetta, had a vendetta to put all of the Christians in prison. Why? Because uh, he thought they were heretical. He thought they were teaching something that wasn't true. They were disobeying the law of the land. So he sought them vehemently. And at the beginning of chapter 9, we read that uh, he was on the road to Damascus to go find more Christians to put in prison. And he had the authority from the high priest to do so. But there's a dramatic turn in Paul's life, and this is what's so important. Now, this is pure historical fact, what I'm about to tell you. Undisputed by any reasonable scholar on the face of the earth is that Paul was once a man who wanted nothing more than to persecute the Christians of the early church who was rising to the top doing so, gaining political power, had everything you could ever want in, in his world. And in an instant, in a moment, everything changed. From that moment forward, his, he gave his life. 
He gave up everything to become one of the people in which he was persecuting. From that moment forward, he gave everything to proclaim the news about Jesus Christ, the very person that he had been denying. That is a historical fact. Now, what isn't a historical fact is why. We've got to ask the question, what would cause a man to do such a thing? What would cause a man to do such a thing? Why would he give up everything? I think there's three logical explanations. The first is that simply he's crazy. And a lot of people go there. Yeah, he might have been really, really convinced, but he's crazy. And you know, and, well, the second might be that he has ulterior motives. Maybe he's not crazy, but maybe he's selfish. Maybe there's something for him to gain in this world. But the third option would be that Christ truly did reveal himself to Paul on the road that day, that everything that he claimed was true. Now let's address the first one. Is he crazy? In Acts chapter 26, uh, Paul stood on trial for the things that he was doing, and one of his old uh, Pharisee buddies says, too much study has made you crazy, Paul. Too much study has made you crazy. There are people today that might say the same thing, but they said it back then to Paul, and you know what he says? He says, I speak boldly, for these events weren't done in a corner. What Paul's saying is like, I'm not claiming that something happened to me that nobody else has testified to as well. But these events that I speak of, the fact that Jesus Christ is risen, that he is the fulfillment of Scripture, is something that many other people are claiming too. You see, take it all the way back to the tomb. The tomb that Jesus was buried in was empty. That's another historical fact. Now, whether or not the disciples uh, may have snuck in somehow and carried his body elsewhere and said that he was resurrected, that's, that's what we don't know. But the tomb was, in fact, empty. He's saying, look, this didn't happen in a corner. All of Rome knows about this. There were over 500 people who claimed that they saw Jesus after he was resurrected. Another historical fact. There were men from every nation who witnessed the Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples for the first time. And they spoke in tongues, in languages of every nation. These events didn't happen in a corner. Paul says, I'm not crazy. Look at what's going on around you. And furthermore, when Paul was on the road to Damascus, there were men with him who witnessed this event. It's a historical fact. See, Paul understands that if what he is preaching isn't true, then it's crazy. He understands as much or more than anybody, that what he's saying is crazy if it's not true. But this is why I love his words in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, look, he's writing to the church in Corinth. If Christ has not been raised, that means resurrected from the dead, if that didn't happen, then all our preaching is useless. All your faith is useless. And we are to be more pitied than anyone on the face of the earth. Paul says that. Look, we're wrong about this. We are to be more pitied than anyone else in the world to put our hope so completely in something that's not true. We're insane. But Paul's saying it's true. It's true. 
This isn't the talk of a crazy man. This is the talk of a very reasonable, intelligent, and convinced man who'd seen something truly extraordinary. Now let's address the second one. Maybe he had an ulterior motive. I'm going to read a passage to you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and let you tell me whether or not Paul had an ulterior motive. He says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. He's talking about his persecution for proclaiming the good news. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, just floating in the water. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. What suffering this man went through. He was in prison for years. And he died a martyr. We don't know exactly how. Many speculate he was beheaded. But he died proclaiming what he believed so strongly. What in this world did Paul have to gain? The answer to that is nothing. Which leads me to the fact that the most reasonable explanation for the turn of events in Paul's life is that it was true. In my opinion, it's the only reasonable explanation. Paul was simply telling what he had experienced. He saw Jesus Christ, he spoke with Jesus Christ. He developed a relationship with Jesus Christ over the years. We actually know, uh, Paul says many times, Jesus uh, continually revealed himself to Paul. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes this. I think these words are just profound. He says, whatever gain I had, it means whatever I had that was worth anything in my past life, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. The surpassing worth. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. You know what Paul's story does for me? It, there's so many different messages I could have preached out of Acts chapter 9 this morning, but what happens to me when I read his story is something similar to what happens to me when I read this testimony of Peter. Second Peter, he writes this to the church. This is the apostle who spent a lot of time with Jesus. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. I, I love that language. Since I know that the putting off my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. He's saying, I know I'm going to die. Jesus told me I will soon. So I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now listen to this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. 
we ourselves heard this very voice from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Every time I start doubting my faith, which is more frequently than you might expect, every time I start doubting my faith, I go to that scripture right there. There's something about reading that passage when this real guy, Peter, that existed 2,000 years ago, writes with his own pen, I was an eyewitness. I was there on the mountain. You know, Peter was crucified upside down. He didn't feel like he, he had the honor to, be, to be, uh, die like Christ did, and so he knew he was going to get crucified. He said, will you just flip me over? What did Peter have to gain other than salvation through Jesus Christ? That's what these stories do to me, man. They're fuel for my faith. This is real. Guys, God is real. These stories are real. Jesus Christ is risen. Listen to the testimonies. Don't keep this hushed. I know there's a thousand reasons you can, you can work out in your, your mind why this might not be true. But give it a chance. Give God a chance. See, salvation, fulfillment, freedom, happiness, they all begin with putting your life in God's hands. Period. That's the gospel. And that's the truth. And when are we going to realize it, you know? How long are we going to wait? Paul had to get knocked off his horse. See, oftentimes we think like these revelations, these kind of supernatural revelations that have something to do with how holy we are. Look at Paul's story. It had nothing to do with how holy he was. It had to do with how stubborn he was. How far does God have to do? What does God have to do to get our attention? I've got to ask the question that Jesus asked Paul. He said, why are you persecuting me? What question is Jesus asking you this morning? Maybe it's not, why are you persecuting me? Maybe it's, why are you running from me? Look, why are you avoiding me? Why don't you listen to me? Why do you take advantage of me? Why are you afraid of me? Why are you angry with me? What is Jesus asking you this morning? And in Paul's account of this entire experience, you know what what Jesus says following that? Jesus says in Acts, Acts 26, Paul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I didn't know what goads were until I had to look it up. But a goad is kind of like a cattle prod. You know, like a, you poke the cows with it to get them going the right direction. Jesus asked Paul, he said, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What Jesus is saying is that this whole time you've been persecuting the church, the Holy Spirit has been prodding you, has been, has been stabbing you, you know, shocking you, whatever, saying... Listen to me. It's hard for you to live this life avoiding me, pretending like I don't exist. It is hard. And that's the answer that we all need to hear no matter where you're at in your faith, whether you have 
any or whether you've been a believer your whole life, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to resist the Holy Spirit. Our lives become more difficult when we resist the Holy Spirit. How is the Holy Spirit urging you in your life? Some of us are better at ignoring it than others, but man, we've got we to pay attention to these goats. Maybe it's saying you need a different job. You know? Maybe it's saying spend more time with your family. Maybe, maybe it's saying, look, God's saying, I need more of you. I need you to rest. I need you to reallocate where you're spending your time. And it, I don't know what your goats are. I don't know what the Spirit is telling you. Only you do. But what's it going to take for God to get your attention? Now, if you still don't believe Paul's story, uh, I'm gonna, that's all right. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to share my story with you. When I, uh, when I was in high school, um, I had a series of like, kind of anxiety attacks like every, every day. And every day I'd get this overwhelming sense of like, impending death in the afterlife and, and eternity, and it just freaked me out. And uh, it caused me to start seeking in my faith a little bit. And um, I was, my, my sister-in-law was gracious enough to give me a book. It was called The Case for Christ. And at that point in time, um, I don't really care for the book that much today, but I'd encourage anyone to read it. Um, at the time, it's exactly what I needed. What this book did is it, uh, it revealed to me the possibility, the very likely possibility that what's written in the Gospels are true. What's written in the Scriptures do actually point to a living and active God. That's what it did. It allowed me to seek my faith and not doubt quite as much, and so I developed this faith that was very intellectual. It's what I would call head knowledge. And it was good. It was good for a time. God revealed himself to me in the truth of the historical events that happened. Yes, I believe that Jesus is real, and I think too many of us get stuck there, or maybe haven't even gotten there. Four or five, maybe six years later, it's four years ago now, 2013, I got plugged into some groups at Schweitzer just by invitation. Best thing I ever did. I started to seek God, and God started revealing himself to me, not just in my head, in my heart, experientially. As I began to live out my life of faith, I saw God in, in the truth in the gospel. The truth. This is the only place you can find happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment. There's so much truth in that that we can only see when we start to seek. I had an experiential revelation of Christ. And in fact, I was even lucky enough um, to have dreams. I haven't had them in a long time. Uh, the first dream I, I ever had, I, I met Jesus Christ. And I, I say it boldly. Most powerful dream I've ever had in my entire life. I've never felt such ecstasy. I've never felt such despair all in one dream. I met him face to face, glowing. And he told me to go and tell everyone I know about him. And the people I went and told in my dream, they didn't believe me. And I just, I woke up crying, sobbing. But what a, what a powerful dream. And I've just seen how God has brought that dream or vision to life in, in the past four years. But you know, it's not that dream and it's not the other supernatural healings that I've witnessed. Or, it's not those things that really uh, drive my faith day to day. It's my experiential relationship with Jesus Christ. It's that revelation. It's every time I get up here on stage to preach and God, uh, I, I'm afraid that it's not going to be good enough and God always, always, always comes through. He always gives me what I need. 
So much more. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he was resurrected because of the historical evidence, because of the stories, because of your testimonies, because of my experiences. I believe because God has continually revealed himself again and again and again in my life and in this church and elsewhere. We've got to open our eyes. So what do we do? See, the paradoxical nature of our faith is that uh, God does need to reveal himself to us. And it's his prerogative to do so. There's nothing we can do to, to earn or kind of summon God's revelation in our lives, and yet we can't just sit here either. That's where the paradox is. We've, we've still got to do something. And there's no formula, there's no one-size-fits-all for everybody, which is why I love uh, Jeremiah 29:13, one of my favorite scriptures, where God writes, Seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Listen to that again. Seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. It sounds to me like a promise and one that I promise you God will follow through on. It's worth the investment. So for those seeking to know more about uh, the Christian faith who have doubts, um, who just want to know more, there's a number of things you can do on campus to just seek, guys. Open spaces where you can have great discussions and, and figure out what it is that you believe. The first of those is Alpha. Alpha is something we've been doing for a while now. Um, the first Alpha class starts this Wednesday at 6 o'clock in the Outreach Center. Just show up if you want. Or you can uh, check on your bulletin or contact, contact Jeff Fugit. But just show up. Bring friends. It's a great video, great meal. You get a chance to talk with people, open at a table, and learn about the Christian faith. Is there reality in this? Is God really trying to reveal himself to me? If you're a young adult, um, and if you're not available on Wednesdays, then I invite you to my own house um, this Thursday, starting at 8 o'clock, 8 p.m. My information is in the bulletin. jhotchkiss at sumc.co, and my phone number's in there. Contact me this week, because um, you need my address, so, if you want to come. I just want to talk. It's one of my favorite things to do. I just want to talk and show you uh, why it is that I feel so strongly about what it is I believe. And then for those uh, who are ready to begin experiencing a deeper relationship with Christ, for God to be revealed to you in deeper ways and more profound and lasting ways, um, I invite you to just get plugged in. There are a number of opportunities in the bulletin. Go online uh, to our main page and click on the Grow uh, button. It'll take you there. And sign up for something. All of those opportunities start this week or next, so get on it. Um, Lastly, I want to put out the invitation to be baptized or to reaffirm your faith. There's no better decision you can make in your life than to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you've been baptized before, but you just feel like, look, I need to, I need to recommit myself to Jesus, um, now's the time to do so. We don't baptize, but we will do a, it's still a, a ceremony, and um, it's similar. We call it a reaffirmation of faith. If you want to do one of those two things, after this service, talk to a pastor. Uh, we've got a number of them here. Jason, raise your hand if you would. And we've got Bob, raise your hand. And then Jim's in here too, I think. Jim's, Jim's back up, right? There he is, yeah. Um, find one of the pastors. Come talk to me after the service, and, uh, and we'll figure out how to get that done, all right? I invite you now to just, uh, as the band comes back up, to pray with me. Lord, 
thank you so much for revealing yourself to us. We don't want to ignore you anymore. We, uh, we want to give our lives to you. God, we confess our faith in you. We believe that Jesus is risen, that your resurrection is everything, that our faith hinges on the belief that you were raised from the dead, Jesus, and that you invite us to die to our old self and be resurrected anew with you. So receive us, God, and give yourself to us. Show us your glory. Amen.